Welcome to Unwrap, the Pick and Roll podcast, brought to you by FBL Fantasy Ballers League. Head to fblsport.com for their entire collection. I'm Adam Webster, and today joined by Pick and Roll feature writer Haley Wilds. Haley, thanks so much for joining me once again. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here and looking forward to a great chat today. Yeah, we've got another great guest on the podcast. We're uh, really privileged to have a guy that played over 280 NBL games, won an NBL championship with the Hawks as a coach, uh, two-time NBL coach of the year, a multi-time Olympic head coach, a bronze medal winning world championships coach, uh, the Opals coach for many years, and the current coach of the Gaoshang Aquas, Brendan Joyce. Brendan, I hope I said that right. And thank you for the tip pre-interview that it was Gaoshang and not Gaoshang. <laughs> No, no worries, mate. A lot of people say Kaushang. I was saying at the beginning, but I've been corrected. And, uh, yeah, they pronounce the K with a G, so it's Kaushang. So everybody's going to be very happy with you. So tell me a little bit about Kaushang. Tell me about the competition. It's a five-team competition. It's existed for a couple of years now. You've won a championship in that competition. It's had, you know, names in it like Dwight Howard, DeMarcus Cousins, that sort of thing that our listeners would be very familiar with. Tell us about the, the competition in your last few years of experience in Taiwan. Yeah, well, when I came, it was a new competition. It was six teams, and uh, there's, three, there's three leagues. And uh, wow. I'd say our league, the T1 league, and the P league are the strongest. And there's the yeah. SBL, which is more of a semi-pro league, uh, and that's run by the federation. Um, but the T1 league and, our P1, and the P league are the stronger leagues. So now there's a lot of talk about joining together. I think they should do that. I've been encouraging that. It'll be very powerful uh, if they join together because, you know, both both leagues actually, when you look at the teams, are very strong. Um, there's a lot of good players here, a lot of quality imports, a lot of NBA players come here. So they pay pretty good money. You ran it off, I, I think, Dwight Howard and, and DeMarcus Cousins. He's here now. He's just gone back. It'd be interesting to see if he comes back. He played four games for a lot of money. Yep. Uh, my team was the only team that beat him. But look out, the, the competition's really strong and... Uh, we won the championship in the first year of six teams. Last year, I had a lot of injuries at the end of the season. Uh, lost import and couldn't replace him because of the cutoff rule. Yep. We went to a five-game series to get to the grand final, but we just failed. So, But now we're looking good again. We we, we unfortunately started 0-3 on the road. I had some injuries, but now we've won 10 of our last 13. So we're, we're one game behind top spot, and uh, we've got two home games coming up. But look, the league is fairly strong, you know. Um, each team has got really good imports and not just Americans. There's a lot of Europeans, top, top Europeans, because they pay good money to the plane in the league as well from Croatia and Serbia and, and places like that. So it's been interesting. It's been, it's been good for me, uh, in respect to, you know, it's, it's, it's a new opportunity and new challenges. And, uh, you know, obviously I need a translator to communicate uh, with a lot of the players. So that's been interesting as well. One that you probably haven't had to is Perry Jones, who played for Baylor and the Oklahoma City Thunder. So he's a name that we would probably remember. I think first-round draft pick, very highly touted and really talented guy. So he would be a go-to guy for you? Well, it'd probably surprise you. Like, he's part of our four imports. Like, we rotate. Uh, he's our fourth import. So I've got a Lithuanian, 7-3, who would arguably be our best player. Uh, he's, he's like a jokish. I had to explain it to everybody at home. Uh, he can't shoot the three, but, man, he's a great passer. I know Melbourne United looked at him a couple of years ago. They should have got him. And I've got Jason Brickman, who was a point guard. Uh, he's part Filipino, part uh, American, and he played college basketball and was a leading, you know, led, led the league in assists or led the NCAA in assists. So 
that combination there, uh, it's a bit like uh, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, look, it's uh, John Stockton, Carl Malone. So you can only yep. play three imports um, in the game. So, but you can only play two at a time. So those two dominate the minutes. And, uh, you know, so I've got Perry as the fourth import. He's played a few games. Um, he's, he's a bit older. He's yep. been good, uh, been solid. But then I've got another big guy who's part Iranian, part UK, played for the Iranian national team at the Olympics, Aaron Jeremiah. So, so Perry's, Perry's my fourth import. You know, he's, he's 32. Um, but, you know, it's, it's been tough getting him some games, but we did have some injuries. He's played eight games, but it might surprise everybody, yeah, with his resume that he's our fourth guy. So, um, but he's a good guy. We, we, we explained that to him. We, we brought him in and said, look, if there's an injury uh, or, you know, if things aren't going well, we'll try to rotate you in. But because I've got the um, a point guard, I don't have a local point guard. I actually need two bigs. So Perry's probably more of a 4 3. The other yep. two big guys I've got, are, one's a five and one's a four five. So in order to balance the team, uh, that that's probably our best best team that goes out in the court to win games. And so what's the game style over there? Is it fairly different to what you'd see in Australia? Is there a lot of similarities or what is it like? Yeah, I've probably changed it to tell you the truth. Um, <laughs> you know, winning the championship, uh, a lot of the teams have copied what I do. And that, that tended to happen in Australia. I know when we won the championship with Wollongong, the next year, seven teams were running my offense. <laughs> so yeah. that's flattery, isn't it? Yeah, a lot of te- well, a lot of teams copycat. They look at what's successful, right, to try and beat you. And so the style of play, a lot of the teams have adjusted. Obviously, my style of play, because of my Australian experience, the Olympic experience, which has been major in my development. You know, people just don't realise the international game, the FIBA game, how it develops not only players to go to a high level as coaches as well. I remember with Gorge, you know, I'll get, sorry to get off track here, but you bring it back memories and I'll talk about the style of play. But I remember standing beside Gorge and we were about to play the US team in 2008. Now, this team's got Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Dwight Howard, who came here. And I'm looking at them and I go, geez, they look like they've had their uniform spray painted on it. You know, they they all look like Superman. (laughs) And um, our thing was, well, how how can we beat this team? Because you've got to remember that Bogut, was the only NBA player we had in 2008. Patty was 19, Joe was 19. You know, they were, they were about to be scouted from their performance at the Olympics. So that was a really young team. So style of play back then was, you know, for us, how are we going to score against this team? Because they switched everything, right? And pretty much with the women, with the Opals, it's the same. When you go internationally, you play the US, they're the best. They just switch screens. So you have to develop offense to, to try and exploit that situation. And, and so all those experience has helped develop me. So style of play, I guess, you know, transition basketball, score, trying to score in the first eight seconds is really important. Um, catching the defense off guard. But then when you get into the half court game, um, you have to be fairly strategic when you move the ball through the process of how you want to score. And obviously against the good teams, they'll put you in late clock situations. You know, well, that's what we want to do with our opponents, stop transition, put them in late clock situations. So, I think most people know I taught these. I've taught this to a lot of coaches in Australia who, 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 probably have taken on that style of play to play conceptually. We have a lot of set plays. Um, so in saying that, the I think some of the teams have copycat. But if you ask for the real, real Taiwanese style down at the lower level uh, or, or the junior level, they're still playing that Asian game where they push the ball, shoot threes really quick. 
um, penetrate and kick because they they don't have many big guys. So, you know, but as I explained to my guys, our style is different because, you know, we're an international team. I've got a Lithuanian, a couple of Americans. And so we have to play differently. We've got some big guys than what they used to um, playing at the junior level. So that was a huge adjustment for teaching offensively and defensively. So they play at a fast pace. And, you know, look, the first game I coached them, uh, no imports played. They were in quarantine. I was, you know, I just got out of quarantine. I've been with them a week. So I thought I'll just put a little bit of basic structure in because I wanted to see how my players play, you know, when you see them for the first time. Yep. And, and man, the, the, the pace of the game was just ridiculous. The turnover rate was more than assists. We, we put up 63s. And I looked at it in the game. <laughs> and I, I called him in. I said, listen, you know, this was really good. I, I can see what everyone can do now, but this is obviously a practice game. We're not going to play this way. <laughs> I've never coached a team that put up 63s. <laughs> was that a shock to them? Did they say, oh, no, this is how we play all the time? No, it wasn't a shock. I don't think they shot 63s normally because I said to them, <laughs> and, and most players play for me, they know I try to give them confidence, back yourself, you're open. But they're only open a bit and they were just shooting me, right? Yeah. And then we were playing Green really lives. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Green light for everybody because I wanted to see what they could do. <laughs> and uh, so so that was a heck of an experience. But the other thing too, early on, this team, we were, we were hurting them, you know, and they went to zone. So a lot of teams when I first got here play zone because you go through the, they've got a college system here. They all play zone. And I try and explain to them, you know, zone is okay, but you don't have accountability for guarding your men. So a lot of the kids, you have to teach man-to-man principles, right, mm-hmm. that really sit down and contain because they're used to playing zone. So that's been an adjustment and teams are playing less zone now at the professional level, you know, than what they were. So I think, I think I've changed things a little bit, I've, you know, and I think from a national team point of view, if they want to be successful, I've told them, you know, suggested this, not told them this, I guess, but, you know, people have asked for what, because they're they they, don't, they they're not at a high enough level to knock off Japan. And if they want to go there, they, you know, they've got to play this style of play and adjust how they play. But the, the problem is they don't have many big guys. That's the problem, you know. So most of the imports you recruit here are big. Unwrapped is presented by FBL, Fantasy Ballers League, an Australian-owned and operated baller lifestyle brand that aims to provide you with the freshest lifestyle apparel and courtwear. FBL's products emphasise a perfect mix of fashion, function and comfort and make a bold statement in their distinctive white, black and gold colours. From hoodies, jackets, t-shirts and socks to their two signature shoes, the Edge in white and gold and the Threat in black and gold. Be bold with gold. Check out the FBL collection at fblsport.com today. I, uh, we've talked about today. I want to go right all the way back to the other end of your career because I read something on my, uh, my internet research this week that you almost played footy. You had a choice whether to play footy or basketball. And I think North Melbourne was thrown up as, uh, yeah, yeah. as someone you got a, an offer from. What... Tell us a little bit about that. What what did you consider before choosing basketball at that time? Because basketball wasn't anywhere near as big as footy back then. No, it wasn't. But in my eyes, it was because, yep. you know, I'd come, I'd come along in the state program. I was coached by good play, coaches yep. throughout my junior career. Frankie Jones, people, you know, the older generation would know was a great junior coach. Colin Cadee, that's... Um, that's uh, Robbie Cadiz's brother. He was a great coach, and Barry Barnes. So back, you know, I had those three guys that were huge in, in their influence with me as, as juniors. Uh, but I was playing local footy for the school, and uh, and 
you know, quite good at, you know, everyone knows Dane Swan, but I played with his dad, Billy Swan, and his dad was in year 12, year 11, I was in year nine, three levels, and I remember how good he was, but I went to the same school as uh, Billy, and then our local footy team was called Jakarta, so that's out the sort of Broadmeadows, West Glaston Park area. Yep. Now, some names that people would know play for Jakarta, famous names, Bruce Dool, wow. play with Carlton, yep. and Scotty Wine, that played with one of Brownlow Metal, yes, the Bulldogs. Dogs. So Scott, Scotty came, came came after me a little bit later. Um, but their names are Peter Smith and Rossi Smith played with North Melbourne and Melbourne. Uh, Peter Smith played with yeah North Melbourne and Brisbane Bears. So I was I was Peter Smith's captain. Rossi was a little bit behind me. But what happened was they they scouted me. You know they and and Slug Jordan was the under nineteen coach. So you had to go through them. So he would come to the games and watch us play. So. They saw a lot, lot, lot of games. Brunswick, the BFA team, knocked on the door consistently trying to get me to play because I'm only 15 or 16 years of age. Um, and North Melbourne, I had to go to North Melbourne if I was going to choose because I was in their zone, but I was a Collingwood supporter, right? And I was born in Collingwood and all my uncles and aunties, and I used to go to Collingwood every weekend and stay with my uncle auntie, get on a tram and train to go play basketball at Albert Park. You didn't play anywhere else back then. You didn't play, like, not, not every... Every team had this stadium like they do today. You just met at Albert Park on a Friday night and everybody played everybody, right? From from 10 to 6 to 10 o'clock at night. And um, that's how it was. So when I made the state team, I think at this, at this point, I'm 16, 17 years of age. So I made the state team and Barnsley said to me, you know, you know you're probably going to make the senior team pretty early. Um, so I was training with the senior team. And the fact it wasn't Collingwood, you know, and I love North Melbourne, I mean, I've got great, great friendships there at North Melbourne because uh, a lot of the, obviously, players and came from the area where I grew up at, at the Broadmeadows, Westway. So, um, but I decided that I was going to play basketball. My dad didn't, he got really upset because he loved footy. He said I was soft yep. oh. and a few other words for choosing basketball. Right? <laughs> you know, inappropriate words for today for, for Zoom. Yep. <laughs> Going out there socially, what other words you said to me. So I was like, a bit upset with that. And, you know, and I didn't, but I thought, oh, you know, with relationship with Barnsley and Colin and Colin Goodell, as I mentioned, um, you know, I was having fun. I'm on the verge of making the senior team. So, and another buddy of mine, Rodney Wright, he got chosen. He ended up playing like 50 or 60 games for North Melbourne and Melbourne under Barassi. That's the only thing I, I look back and I went, I could have played under Ron Barassi. You know, that's that's where I look back now. And I met Ron. Um in an all-star game. He was working for a company, but when I made my first all-star team in the NBA, it was 88. So Ron worked for that company. Aussie, Oz tapes or something, I can't remember, but they were you know, promoting. So I, I, like that was my dad's favourite player, Ron Barassi. You know? So yeah. um, I look back now and I think, did I make the right decision? But you know, I always wanted to go to the Olympics as a player. I was the last cut at some Australian camps. So I have empathy for the players that get cut, and that's helped probably help me as a coach, but it still Absolutely. doesn't help the players when you cut them. <laughs> um, Little consolation at the time. Yeah, yeah, but I saw it. At least I understand what they're going through. But, you know, I went to three Olympics, as you said, two two with the men um, at uh, and, and one with the women So as the head coach. So, you know, I couldn't do that playing basketball. And, and you know, it's just been great. And I've got great relationships through me footy. All these guys, you know, I've got, you know, relationships with head coaches today in the AFL you know, and, and have been transferring knowledge back and forth and how to manage people. So you, I've built relationships on both sides, but that was pretty much it. I decided Dad was a bit upset 
But let me say, it took him a while to get over. In 1980, probably two years later, when I actually played, he came to a game. And he said, oh, this ain't too bad, is it? <laughs> it was the Spectres and we were playing somebody and he goes, oh, it's pretty good. Over. Like, oh, yeah, but you know what? I found out he played basketball in yeah. 1947. Like, you know, we've got, we got the cup. I don't know if you ever look at the cup, but the BBA cup, I, I, you know, I played for the Spectres and say it's won four of those. That was as big as the NBL in the 70s and 80s. So the Victorian Basketball Association Championship, that was the biggest, right? That's the biggest thing you could win. So I looked on that cup. And it had 1947, I think, in 1948, a team was called Metro, right? And Dad was a football player, but he played in those two championships coming off the bench. Wow. And the famous player back then, I, I heard, you know, again, a lot of the older guys would know, his name was Archie McGresham. And his son, Mel McGresham, played for the club that I came through. Mel was 10 years older than me, 15 years older than me, played under Owen Ewan and Barry Barnes. So his history there, and I went back and said, you play basketball. He goes, yeah, but I was just keeping in shape. I go, you won two championships. He goes, yeah, but, you know. <laughs> so he was a player. But he was a footy player. Heart, you know, his heart and soul was with footy. He was pretty good at it, you know. Look, there's one thing I've learned between yourself, Simon Mitchell, and Matt McQuaid. There are far too many Collingwood supporters that are uh, good Australian <laughs> basketball people. I'm, yeah, I'm flabbergasted. Boy. As a cat supporter, <laughs> as I really struggle with this, Hayley. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm right, a he, spotter, he, so I'm probably no better. Oh, no. Uh, well, Hayley, you know, I was born in Collingwood. You know the borders, right? The borders, Victoria Street, right? So I was born in there and I sold newspapers in Richmond when I was a kid. I was a newsboy. And we actually moved to from Collingwood to Richmond. So I actually spent 10 years of my life in Richmond, uh, in the Richmond Flats. Yeah. And my grandma and granddad, they lived across the road and they were mad Richmond. So... And, you know, going back, we're getting back here, but the footy days, when I was nine, 10 years of age, because I was mad on footy, I used to go and watch Collingwood play at their home games. And then on the away games, I'd go and watch Richmond or Melbourne play at the MCG. So, yeah, it's, uh, so I've got a lot of history there. You know, I know all the players. I used to call myself Joyce Hart, Haley, number four. Royce oh, Hart, remember? <laughs> you ever heard of Royce Hart? When I was oh, playing I have even though one of the great tiger. number fours. <laughs> yeah, one of the greatest of all time. Dustin Martin's probably uh, aligned with him now, but uh, Cheesy yeah. was good. Royce Hart. Yeah. yeah. And I suppose yeah. sort of going back to your playing days in the NBL, you were sort of one of the, the best at assists in the league and you won, I think, a few assist titles along the way. Was that sort of one of your keys to your game, you felt like, to get your teammates going and bring others into the game? Yeah, it's uh, certainly important for a point guard. I think number one is your organisation skills and obviously making sure the team's balanced uh, out on the floor, you know, depending on what, what's got to be run. So it's, I think I was fairly a, a fairly good organiser, but I was, I was very quick, right? So super quick. I, I think today's game would suit me more than back then because coaches didn't give us as much freedom. Like we'd, we'd push the ball up the floor and I'd wait for four guys to get down there to run the offence. <laughs> So you weren't encouraged to sort of go one-on-two or one-on-one and get to the rim, you know. If one-on-one, you would do it sometimes, but m- most of the times the coach wanted you to run the offense. So, But through this structure, uh, obviously I was encouraged to penetrate more. I'm not shooter. I wasn't the greatest shooter, so I understand that. And again, that's that comes back to coaching. But my shooting got better and I got more aggressive to score probably midway through my career. When I, um, you know, Colin Cadiz said to me, well, if you want to make the national team, you need to up your scoring. So I started to average double figures and uh, and, and was getting nearly double figures in assists. But um, 
look, that was a natural part of my game, the ability to penetrate and, and, and see the floor and make the pass. Um, that's not, not everybody has that, you know. So the vision I had, and that helped me with footy as well. You know, a good mate of mine, Tony Shaw and Terry Wallace, they both played basketball. They were really good basketballers, played state. Everyone talked about how they were slow in the AFL, but they just had great hand-eye coordination, quick first step, and they still made it big in the AFL, um, or the VFL, it was called back then. They've been superstars. So they're still friends of mine today. Uh, but you know, going back to it, I think, um, yeah, that was that was my best skill, it was my vision, peripheral vision, and my, using my quickness to get into the seams and create and pass to the perimeter players, create shots and, and get it to the big guys. So... And that's a big part of my coaching. You know, like all my teams, if you go through it, I, I don't think you can win uh, without making the extra pass. You know, I mean, these days you want to play through your best players, but then your best players have to, you know, if they're double team, obviously pass the basketball. Um, and so I'm pretty big on that. And like right now, everyone talks about it, the three years I've coached here. Even when I was at Wollongong, I had six, seven players who win the championship and average double figures. My team's pretty much lead the lead usually in assists. So yep. that gets back to style of play. But I think what you're saying, what you're touching on, uh, it's probably been an influence from how I played the game as well. It's interesting um, heading back to you, you know, you transitioned into coaching and you coached a guy, David Anderson, really early on yeah. in your career as, yeah. uh, as a Hawks coach. And I was reflecting on his pathway to the NBA through uh, the Hawks and then through Europe. And he kind of did what Joe Ingalls did just four or five years before Joe did it. Um, it's a different pathway now. It's a different, you know, it's a different degree of availability for op- opportunities for Australian players. It kind of makes what David Anderson and then Joe Ingalls did all that more impressive that they did it in the way that they did it at an advanced age. Uh, I mean, there are so many more uh, opportunities available to young Australian kids now compared to 10, 20, 30 years ago when you began coaching, right? Absolutely. I think that's, you know, the more players have gone over there, Look, the coaches in the in the states love our kids because yeah, you know we, we teach them how to play the game. I think you know Popovich uses the term right way. I use it as well. Like what what I just talked about with Haley was you know making the pass at the right time and you know and then there's the defensive side of it and then there's the the team aspect. They love the fact you know we're very team oriented Aussies and like it is changed a little bit because you know mum or dad may want this kid to score thirty points and you've got to be careful. Um, that that doesn't override playing the right way. But overall, our kids are taught the game, you know, strategically very well, have good fundamentals and understand the game. So it's like they want our players now, you know, whereas, you know, you hear hear the criticism. I heard it from Steve Kerr and a number of players. Um, You know, JJ Reddick talking about how the kids, they just go to AAU, they run up and down, play six games a week. Uh, Even Doc Rivers, like, they're not getting the fundamentals. They're not getting the strategy, like the, the teaching of the game, enough to practice. So, um, that's that's a reason why I think part of why you know, Aussies are getting recruited, but also from the, the success our, our previous Aussie kids, as you say, uh, David um, and Joe, you know, they they were part of our Olympic team or Australian team at a young age as well. So they got international exposure uh, internationally in Europe before the US, uh, we're looking at him anyway. But I can tell you this, like, you know, coaching, I only coached David for one year and obviously I coached him pretty hard because uh, I saw the potential in him and he'll tell you that. But he looks back now and he's appreciative and respectful and him and I actually still have a great relationship. 
That's awesome. And he had a year, yeah, he had a year to run on his contract. I'll tell you this story if you don't mind. Mm. Um, and uh, we signed him for two years. What happened was I wanted him. I missed out on him. But then North Melbourne, North Melbourne Giants, and I'm just trying to say Southeast Melbourne Magic joined together. So they had to have a certain number of players from each team. And they were about to sign David, and, and they decided not to sign David. I was like, you know, originally he, he made the call to me and said, I'm going to the Magic. Obviously, that's fairly, you know, he's from home. I'm in Wollongong, coaching in Wollongong now. So we nearly got him, but then, you know, a bit of fate happened. And then he calls me and goes, oh, they don't want me now. I go, well, we do. <laughs> you know, he's only an 18-year-old kid. I knew him from Melbourne. Uh, I used to go to the Institute, not far from Canberra, watch him practice. So, so got mum and dad up, and we signed him for two years. And, you know, in his first year, he should have been rookie of the year, but he didn't get it. But uh, we made the final four that year. And so the next year, I was building the team around. And so what happened was he snuck off to Europe. And a friend of mine said, I think you need to come down to Melbourne. There's something going on here. And I go, no, David's okay. I'll leave him alone. I don't want to go near him. And that was the hint to saying something's going on. But he snuck off to Europe. And he had a tryout in Europe, right? And uh, he ended up coming to an agreement with Kinder Bologna. So... His agent, didn't, who Leon Rose, right? He's big time now. Leon Rose with the New York yep. Knicks. I think he's the president of the Knicks. He is. So yeah. he represented really uh, David. He calls me and said, oh, look, you know, David's got this offer in Europe. Um, you know, at the time, I'll say what it's worth. It's worth 400,000 euro, which our dollar was like half then. So that's 800,000 Australian tax free. Wow. We're paying, we're paying not even 100K. I think we're paying him 80K, right? Which is good money back then, though. Yeah. But he was a superstar rookie, right? So he says, "Oh, can you let him out of the contract?" And I go, "Oh, mate, mate, I've, I've just re- recruited me Americans. I've put the team together, you know, around him." So I go to the owner, and the owner goes, "We ain't letting him go." I go, "Listen, you know, we got to let him go. This is a kid. He's got. You can't do this, you know." I go, "I don't want to do it." And he says, "Well, they need to pay us something, you know." Back then, yeah. and I look back, <laughs> and I thought. And I, I stopped him from doing that. I said, I don't think we could do that because it could stop, inhibit David, you know, maybe going to. So we let him go freely, you know. So that's something people don't know. And we did the right thing. And um, the guy, the owner that I have is the best owner I've ever had in basketball, John Carson. Um, so, but it hurt us. It was the one year we missed the playoffs in the 10 year period, you know, because I had to scramble and, and sign yeah. some players to replace him. But, uh, and I, I remember talking to him and saying, man, this is a great opportunity. You know, you're going to play in the NBA one day, but you've got to keep working hard, you know, stay professional. You know, we had all this talk and all that. And it's, it's probably never been, honestly, I don't think I've ever come across a player that's been more meticulous about being professional. That's why he played till he's 40 now, right? Yeah. And taking care of himself. So, yeah, that happened. Um, so, but we, we, we still have a cool relationship now. He's, he's you know, the communicator for the NBL players, coaches, social, or whatever it is relationship so he's sending me emails but obviously I can't get to anything because I'm over here in Gold Shop. So but yeah, that's uh <laughs> that was an interesting experience, you know, and, and letting letting someone go you've got signed without any payment back. Um but you do these things. You've got to make decisions along the way. And you then won a title with the Hawks. You're the first team in New South Wales to ever be an NBL champion. Is that something that you guys hold over the Kings routinely? Uh, not really. <laughs> I, do, I do remember. There after, I, can tell, so. I, I can tell you the people of Wollongong would, you yeah, know, because they hate, yeah, they yeah. hate Sydney. <laughs> they, yeah. they hate Sydney. When I got there, Rivalry. they said, 
yeah, when I got there, they said, look, even if we don't have a great season, just beat Sydney. <laughs> that's what they used to say to me. I go, hang on, wait a minute. I want to win that's a championship. That's all that matters. That's it. Yeah, that's what, yeah. That, that, is, that is what mattered to the most. And, you know, as, as we let go of David and then two years later, we did win the championship. And uh, But I can tell you, the first two years was a struggle. You know, not much money, not much talent. I wasn't very popular, Adam. I, I, I've told this story before that they put in the newspaper, should he stay, should he go? It was quite scary one time. We had a, a brick thrown through our house window. Um, which was pretty scary. Wow. And my, yeah, yeah, because we weren't doing well in the second year. And my wife um, and I was having meetings with board members and things like that. Um, so I just survived. Most coaches, a lot of coaches go through this. And, it's, you know, if you're lucky enough to survive. And I met Wayne Bennett once. And I said to him, I was at the airport, and I said, you got any advice for a young coach? Because it was around the same, same time, you know. And he said, son, just survive, just survive. And I can relate to it because I went through a terrible period at Wollongong um, and uh, just survived. And in the third year, uh, they said to me, if you don't make the playoffs, you're done. The board said that to me directly. And then my wife goes, you know, she was unhappy being protected, saying they don't deserve you, let's get out of here. And I said, no, we're going to stay. And we made the playoffs in the last game, one by point beat Cam, and then two years later we win the championship. So... Um, you know, there's good and bad in all of this. People who all have their challenges. So that's why I was really happy to see Perth. Like, I, I don't get on Twitter too much, but I chimed in when they were giving it to really, you know, as a young coach, wanting yeah. to get rid you know. And I said, no, no, you've got to back him. So I was really, really happy to see him get backed by Craig Hutchinson. Uh, and look at him now. They're second on the ladder. Yeah, he could have um, coach of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just wondering if he had a big brick thrown through his window. But, you know, Mick Malthouse, I heard in, in WA, had similar things when he first got to WA coaching the West Coast. So um, Robert Shaw in Adelaide, they did some terrible things in him. Then he put the groundwork in. And next, case, what you want to do too, sometimes, you know, it's part of the growth, right? You have the tough period. You've got to survive that tough period with the players. And then the success comes. A lot of, a lot of guys like Robert Shaw, you know, he did that. Some Adelaide people might not agree with this, but he did the hard yards right with the pros, and then got developed a lot of these young kids, which it's hard to win with the young kids. And then Malcolm Blight comes in later and reaps the benefit. So they'll talk about how great Malcolm Blight is as a coach, and I'm sure he is great. But sometimes it's all about timing as well. Um, and when you don't have the profile to just be selected, you know, and with a great team with a lot of money, which which is my situation, I won a couple of championships at Ballarat. But you go to a low-level team with low money, obviously the odds of winning the championship are a lot lower, you know. Uh, and we build our championship. That's one thing I'm proud of. We built it at Wollongong. We didn't pay for it. We built it. And uh, then the tough part is hanging on to your players because everybody wants them. <laughs> that happened too. Yeah. It's always the struggle. <laughs> and I suppose you're also, you didn't just build great teams in the NBL, also in national teams. And you've been around some of the best, like, Paddy Mills and Lauren Jackson. Yeah, I, 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 I experienced Lauren for two games. It was, it was devastating for me as the Opals coach. Um, like she, she had some injuries and problems and she was going to retire. And I talked to her and uh, went and talked to her and she's come back and she wasn't 100%. And she got the MVP in our qualifying series against New Zealand. And everyone went, wow, how good is she playing again? And um, and then China, a team in China recruited, and she said to me, Chuck, I'm, 
I've got to take this job. And I said, Lauren, don't, don't take it. You're not ready physically yet. You know? And then she told me about the money. I said, I guess you've got to take it. <laughs> so, yep. and, Changes um, the conversation when the zero is coming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were riding in the car, uh, driving back from Ballarat. Um, and she was telling me about it. But I was a bit worried physically. And what happened was, as we know, she got injured over there. And we tried to bring her back for a couple of years. And they said they she'd never play again. You know that? And obviously, she never played for me in any of the major tournaments. So I didn't have her at the World Cup. Then we lost Liz, Karen, her Achilles, five days. Certain players didn't want to play in the World Cup for different reasons. So I had that young team at the World Cup. And without Liz, we got the bronze medal. But going back to Lauren, man, but she's special. Like, she's, there's certain players you coach. I only coached her for a couple of games. So, you know, seeing her play, I can't believe that she's back playing, obviously, with the injuries she had. Uh, to come back yeah. and play is just phenomenal in that World Cup. So, you know, she, she's she's a superstar, as everybody knows, but there's certain things about certain players, you know, like Shane Hill, her, you know, and then if you want to talk about the US players, we, we hear about Cody Bryant, Jordan, Diana Taurasi. I met Diana before. They have this look in their eye. They have this persona. They're, they're you know, they're special, and, and, and it hasn't just happened for them. They've worked hard, but... Yeah, the Opals team we put together was a, a that, that's one of the highlights of my career, winning that bronze medal because we had a lot of young players there. I think seven or eight players at their first um, senior fever tournament. So, um, and with Lizzie, you know, snapping her Achilles five days out, no one thought we'd go close. And we won the bronze medal, beating Turkey on their home floor by 20. We pushed the US to 12, 12 points. I mean, it's all etched in my memory. And then there's the disappointment side of it, right? So, we go to the Olympics, we win five straight games, and then we lose the quarterfinal by a point to Serbia. Um, so that's actually in my mind, you know, and the, and the last play, we practiced probably over and over again, that situation. But, you know, one player forgot what she was supposed to do, went to the wrong spot, derailed the play, and we couldn't score. And that was probably the end of my coaching career with the Opals as well. So, <laughs> But the other highlight with that was my job – at that time, was also being in charge of the technical director at the AOS, or was called the, was still called the COE, and we had all the kids, right? So I was involved in selecting the kids that were going to be the next April. So I'm so proud to see Ezzy McBegger there, you know, Alana Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, they, so while I was coaching the Opals, they were our young kids about to come through. So we won three out of the four World Cup, or three World Cup medals. So they won the under-19s. Uh, and Paul Gross was coach under 17s. I'm just trying to think. Shannon Seaborn, who I appointed as coach, won that gold medal with Ezzy. So all of those kids now, you know, that came through our program that I was involved in leading, I'm pretty proud of that. So it's not just about the Opals too. It's about the whole program and creating opportunities for these girls. Annalie, Maley, they're all there. You know, they're all there now on that Opal squad. It's fantastic. And I suppose on Lauren Jackson, she's just announced that she won't be going to Paris now and sort of a, a bit of a shock to everyone. But do you feel like what she's been able to do in this comeback run to obviously get that bronze medal with the team in at the World Cup at home and then to now help the team qualify for the Olympics this year, do you just see this comeback as, as just an amazing a, an amazing thing that she's been able to do? Oh, it's more than amazing. I think it's... It's, it's it's unbelievable because if anyone knew the injuries she had, how it's explained to me, she wasn't. Because I tell you, if I had I had Lauren Jackson at 2000 Olympics Rio, we might have won gold, right? Yeah. We definitely would have not knocked out in that quarterfinal, I can tell you that. So I didn't have the luxury of having these superstars like her and 
I'm just trying to think who else was missing at the Olympics. There's quite a few of them. They all reached the end of their career. So I, I had to tell them it was the end. So that was the tough part for me. Linda Snell was awesome. Jenny Screen. I'm just trying to think. There's quite a few. Um, you know, Su Susie Bakovich was awesome. But you have to tell sometimes these players at times up. And it's hard. It's hard. Not only for them. It's hard for me. But they don't realise that it's harder for them. So, but going back to Lauren. Yeah, what she did. I, like, that was just... That was just crazy. Like that, what was it? The thirty-point game against Canada. She ain't playing. They ain't winning that medal. They yeah. probably ain't even. They're not even close, right? At that time. Yeah. So what she's done to is been able to lead and carry the culture and and provide strength and direction. I think and vision for all these young young girls because you know after the Olympics, I went to the only one one game, right? Yeah. Right. Only won one game, and that, you know I don't like the fact that they talk about Liz because it's that's not. You know, I don't think you can blame one person about that. Yeah. That because we lost Liz four days before, and we could have said, "Oh, we're not going to win this because Liz is out." And you know, they still had more than Liz. But I don't want to get into that. But that disappointed me. The focus was on Liz, um, and the fact is, they just didn't play well. Right? They only won one game, yeah. so they brought back. I think they brought back Laura, and I think strategically as well. And you know, Laura worked really hard to 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 reboot basically the Opals and rebuild the culture, help rebuild the culture after that really bad Olympics. Um, and people say our Olympics wasn't, our Olympics wasn't that bad. We won all five games and lost a game by point. You know, while I was coaching, we only lost two games. That was one of them. One in the World Cup and that one. Yeah. So the next series was, was pretty poor. And then you get to the World Cup now, they bring Lauren back. I, I think that's just one of the all-time great things I've ever seen happen. You know, I know her. You know the circumstances. Um, it's in our country. Um, she just motivated, led everybody. And now I think she's provided support in the qualifiers and she'd be encouraging these girls now to, to go the next step at the Olympics. So, yeah, man, she's, she, she's one of the greatest of all time. Greatest, greatest. If not, definitely the greatest yeah, hopefully yeah. in my opinion. Greatest hopefully in my opinion. I, and I, I only coached her for two games. <laughs> so, oh, I think it's, it's widely... Um, agreed that she's the greatest basketball player that Australia's ever produced. Um, and that's the period, uh, which I think is the, the best place to leave it um, with, with LJ. Well, when I, when I, when I met with Lauren, um, I had to encourage you to come back. So I said, look, let's go to a gym. So she took me to a gym in Albury. And I said, let's just start off with catch and shoot because her knees were bad. Everything was bad, right, yep. at that time. And mentally, she was shot. So I said, let's just do some shooting drills. So, mate, I've only ever had this happen with a couple of players. I'm passing the ball under the rim. Now, remember, I think at this point, she hasn't played for 15 months or 18 months and touched the ball. So we had this drill. Shane Hill and I used to do a seven and nine. You can't miss two in a row, and you've got to try and make seven and nine, and you can only miss two. But guess what? So I'm doing it with Lauren. I'm just standing under the basket, catching it through the net. Swish, swish. Swish, swish. He hasn't touched the ball. So we go around the five spots at the two-point line. We go to the three-point line. Swish, swish, swish. And I'm going, oh, God, I've got to get this girl back. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, imagine, that's her mentally shot in your view. That's that's what she does well, she when me, she's she struggling. Told she, was, she told me she was mentally shot, right? And I could see it, right? The stress. And then there was the stress of, can I still do it? Can I still do it? And I, we sat down together and I said, and she told me some things which I won't talk about that concerned her because it was it was personal. You get to know players. But I said, Lauren, you still got it. Let's just get you in shape. You still got it. <laughs> I just got to get you back. <laughs> you know, 
And she proved uh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. MVP in the two games. We beat New Zealand. We qualified for the World Cup. And as I said, she went to China, and that was the end of her career, they told me. So to see her come back, as you just mentioned, uh, I think that's just incredible. I don't have time for long. Yeah, for sure. And, and I suppose over your career, you've you've coached men and women at, at the highest level. What are sort of the differences when you are coaching men to women and, and do you really have to focus on different things or what is that transition like? Yeah, I get that question asked a bit. I haven't coached my girls um, uh, in a lot of female teams. People didn't know uh, that I was coaching teams, you know, these along the way. And it doesn't matter, right? Um, obviously, there's difference in how they express their emotions these days. Uh, or back then, you know, boys and girls. I've got three daughters, so I see the difference with my daughters and my son. So did I coach them differently? One of the things I said to the girls, I pulled them in, I said, you know, okay, you guys, I haven't coached the WML, but I've coached women's teams. And I said, so most of you know me, though. Um, you know, I, I, there's that relationship in Australia. We, we, we all know each other and, I said, but it's different. Do you want me to? Do you think I should coach differently? And all the girls said, no, just be you. So, yeah. How how I how I spoke, I, I reckon I I personally made an adjustment. I made sure that um, I think uh, how I communicated was probably a little uh, not not as not as direct and tough with the girls because I haven't seen it with my daughters. Um, you know, they 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 emotionally take things probably really a lot deeper than men, I think, um, and, and, and in, hold it within, uh, things within. So I felt that I had to be careful what I said, the tone I used at times. Um, that's what I felt personally. And so I was careful with that. But at the same time, I still coached them hard. Like, the, you know, if they needed to do something, uh, it was no different. They had to be accountable, you know, offensively or defensively where they didn't contain and I would challenge them. Um, but different personalities too. You know, I, I don't think sometimes it's just about the difference between men and women. It's about the personality. So you find some of the girls you can coach harder and some of them you couldn't just like boys. But I, I, I did try and manage my own emotions better coaching. I think I, it helped me with coaching, managing my own emotions better coaching the girls. And some girls that go probably say, oh, I don't know, Chuck, you know about that, what you're saying yeah. now. But, <laughs> but that was something I focused on. Uh, but then when you get players like Tessa Lady, you know, the, she played two years of footy, went to the two Olympics. What a tough kid she was. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm just trying to think. Um, look, majority of the girls pretty res responded pretty well. We wouldn't have won 12 out of 14 of our international games if they didn't. But then there's a Lauren Jackson, right? So going back to Lauren, only the two games, um, she was she was tough on her teammates. So yeah. because of her own high expectations, but I love that, right? So sometimes when you've got a player that like that who's challenging her teammates and keeping her accountable, makes sure job easy. So that's something I, I missed without Lauren. And some players can't handle that from their teammates. But, you know, we've heard the stories of Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan. Lauren was a bit like that, you know, challenging her teammates. So that helps you as a coach. So in some ways when I had her, I, I could take a little bit of a step back in that respect in how we challenge players. But, you know, as far as how I prepared them, how I communicated with them, how how I uh, motivate them, how I'm accountable was was all the same. You know, um, players sometimes just it depends on the player. If they can't be held accountable, then they're not coachable. And most of the girls at that level are. You know, they don't get to that level unless they're not. So, 
Yeah, it's an interesting one. It probably surprises, I think, in a nutshell, I didn't coach a lot differently, didn't treat them differently, but understands, like, after we after we um, lost to the USA, I, I remember this, Ali, remember this, we lost to the USA at the World Cup, and that was to go into the gold medal game. So we're in the change room, and all, all the girls are crying. Now, in a men's change room, that wouldn't happen, or if someone was going to cry, they'd probably go and hide it, so the difference is what I felt was the girls would display, didn't have problems displaying their emotion, you know, whereas, so that was different. Uh, and then I'm thinking to myself, oh, wow, how am I going to get these girls up for the next game? Because in 24 hours, we've got to play Turkey the on their yeah. home floor, right, for the bronze. So that was going through my mind. So I quickly just clicked to the Turkey game. Hey, hey girls, you know, I know you're disappointed, but we've got this game and – we need to move on. And I started talking tactically about already about what we're going to do. Went back, watched video, decided to show them all how good they are through video, um, like their highlights to get them back up and positive. Yeah. Thinking positive for the next day and and went over the defensive plan. And man, as everybody knows, it's one of the greatest defensive displays I've ever seen with any team I've ever coached. You go back and watch it, the first six and a half minutes, we kept Turkey scoreless. Yeah. Scoreless. Was seventeen nil, and I'm standing there going to myself on the sideline, going, "How good is this?" <laughs> now, and I'm saying to myself, "Yeah," and then I, I said to myself, "Now calm down, it's only six minutes. <laughs> Don't get carried away. You got to make a run." Yeah, yeah, but this, you know, you you have little voices in yourself as a head coach, and and, um, and then they made a bit of a run, but then we come back. But that was one of the greatest experiences, you know, as a coach. And, I've had two. I've had three of those moments. One coaching the Hawks, where we kept Adelaide, I think, scores for six minutes, and the crowd's going nuts. You know, that was a home game. But this is in Turkey, twenty thousand people. It was silent. It was silent. You know, and that that silence was deafening. You know, and as everybody knows, we 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 won a bronze medal. So that's um that's been a, that that was an amazing experience, and and to see the girls bounce back uh, after that devastation. You know, and obviously. You know, losing at the Olympics um, was was devastating for all of us. Just you know, winning five straight and uh, and losing that one point game. So we're all feeling that. And all I was trying to do, if you take it the wrong way, is trying to make them feel better. I said, girls, you still you know played great, and then you know there was a bit of criticism about that. But what are you supposed to do? Yeah. You know, what are you supposed to do when some you know they're devastated? Try and lift them up, even if there's no no next game to play. So, um, yeah. but yeah, just the emotions of of, of winning and losing are different, you know, with, with, with the boys and girls. But as far as coaching, I have to be honest, honest, truthful. I think I coached the same, you know, coached them the same. They wanted me to coach the same, you know. I think I'll, I'll finish with this, Brendan. Firstly, thank you so much for being here and being on the show. We really appreciate it. We've really enjoyed the chat. Um, you talk about coaching, talk about coaching girls. I've got to be super selfish. I've got a seven-year-old girl and I've got to coach her for the very first time. I've never coached anyone before in my life. I need I've got great advice. advice for you. I need some advice. Either Is it oh. going to be don't? Is that? Uh, no, no, I've got put, put a bunch of coins in your pocket, right? Yeah. But make sure they're all, they're all the same. Yep. Because when I coached my twin girls and their best mates, they were nine and uh, – and both twins went on to play for New South Wales and Queensland, but because they, you know, they're like Keystone Cops. I don't, if you know what Keystone Cop is. It, it's a, it's a, it was like a, a cartoon we'd watch. And so, um, 
they'd be in trouble, but they'd all be running together. So wherever the ball is, all players like a magnet to the ball, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like a magnet to the ball. So the thing you've got to do with kids is just teach them to stay out of each other's way. Yep. Try and space the floor. So I put the coins down on the floor, right? Five coins, five out. Yep. Right? Five out. But the mistake I made, right? Call the time out. I've got the these, these girls are 30 years older now. They still they still joke about it to me today. Yeah. I put the coins on the floor. I call the time out and I go, Yeah, Georgia, you're here. That's my girls, twin girls' best friend still today. Ran and you're here. Taylor, you're over here. Right. And then actually we had one or two boys on the team. It was like a little mixed team. But but majority were girls, right? So we had like seven girls and two boys. And then they go, no. I go, what? They go, I want to be the 50 cent piece. I don't want to be the 10 cent piece. I want to be the 50 cent piece. I, and then they, I want to be the 20 cent. I'm not going to be the five cent. You're saying five 50 cent pieces is what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Use, yeah. use five coins the same because it's going to be arguments. They're not even going to listen to what you're telling yeah, them to do. Yeah. Right. Take, it's, it's going to be more about what coin you've given them, okay? Yeah. So if yeah. you want to space out the floor, that's my best advice for coaching any seven to nine-year-old. I think me and every parent <laughs> out there of a seven to nine-year-old just felt that deep inside. The uh, you, You're ignoring <laughs> the most important thing about this whole thing to argue about something else entirely. Oh. Um, Brendan Joyce, thank you so much for being on Unwrapped. It's been fantastic, and we hope to have you back again. No worries. It's been awesome. As you mentioned, coach against Boogie. We're the only team that beat them last week, too, in the four games. My team, Golf Show Aquas, Boogie Cousins. I have to throw that in there. We didn't get to talk about that. That was our chat with Coach Brendan Joyce. Thank you so much to Haley and Brendan for being a part of it. It was a heap of fun. Brendan's got stories for days. I'm sure that won't be the last time on the podcast. I certainly hope not. A reminder, you can subscribe to pickandroll.com.au to get access to all the fantastic content from the great team of writers that we showcase here on Unwrapped. Recently, there's articles by my friend Michael Huben on Johnny Furphy. Hayley Wilds was looking at the bottom four teams in the WNBL season as that picks up into finals as well. Will Crouch had a great piece on David Patrick and Daniel Herborn covered Jordan Canada in the wake of her WNBL MVP award. For those articles and more, head to pickandroll.com.au. I'm Adam Webster. We'll see you again next time.